you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 124 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and on today's show, got a couple of injury updates, going to run through both games of the doubleheader, offer my takeaways, and question one of Bob Melvin's moves just a little. But before I get into everything, please follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any mailbag questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Um, also, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, please do so wherever you like your podcast. I am wherever you want me to be. So uh, yeah, go ahead and do that. We do daily podcasts, so uh, there'll be one in your feed every day, breaking down all the A's action and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, give us a follow, subscribe, and then uh, let's get into the episode. So, just going to start with the injury news real quick. Stephen Piscotty was held out of both games of the doubleheader due to left wrist soreness. I believe that's new. Hadn't heard about it before. Also, as somebody who works at a computer and has also served tables for many, many years, I understand the wrist soreness. It stinks. The news for Piscotty, though, isn't that bad. He was available to pinch hit during the second game. Uh, he didn't get in, but, you know, he was available. So, we'll pr- we may see him on Wednesday. If not, we'll see him Thursday, most likely. Um, yeah, so... Stephen Scotty, he, he just had some sore wrist, and I get that it's not fun to do anything with the sore wrist. So he'll be back in the next couple of days, if not today. Uh, also, Matt Chapman spoke to reporters. He said he's feeling a lot better with the rest and is going to resume baseball activities today, today being Wednesday. So that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be in the lineup tonight or even Thursday, but this is a welcome sign that he is progressing towards getting back on the field. I know that the last time we saw him, he wasn't great at the dish. But as we've seen the last couple of games, uh, it would be nice to see him in the field because there have been a couple of opportunities there where uh, the middle infielders kind of collapsed and didn't make the play. And I'm like, yeah, Chapman would have had that. So anyways, both those guys are coming back soon. But switching gears over to uh, actual baseball being played, I think that heading into Tuesday's doubleheader with the Astros, with Frankie Montas, who had been struggling going uh, in one of the games, and Mike Miner going in the other one, I'm pretty sure we would have taken a split and been happy with that. They always say that it's hard to sweep a doubleheader, and with those two guys going, you don't know what you're going to get. So I'm pretty sure we would have all been very happy with a split, which is ultimately what we got in, you know, at the end of the day, literally. But um, the way that the second game played out, you really wanted to win both, especially with it being against the Astros and they're chasing you. We could have gone up to a six and a half game lead and... Who cares what happens the rest of the series? You could have had a six and a half game lead if you split the next two games. That would have been amazing. Now, if they split, you still get four and a half game lead, which is not bad. But, uh, you know, you wanted to pad it up as much as you can, especially with the game in hand like they had it in the second game. But uh, it didn't go that way. The bullpen kind of gave it away, sort of. I mean, all, all the runs got charged to Mike Miner. I mean, the big inning in game two was the uh, the fourth inning, top of the fourth inning, where the Astros loaded the bases on a couple of singles and a walk. And then Mike Miner hit Carlos Correa to bring in their first run of the game, make it 4-1. to one. And uh, that's when Bob Melvin went to the bullpen. Uh, he brought in Yusmero Petit. And Petit got the first out. He got a line out. That was cool. Uh, lined it out to Ramon Laureano. They were like, hey, I'm not running on that guy. I know about him. Didn't run on him. That was wonderful. And then uh, 
he walked two guys and they got it to four to three. And then George Springer hit a grounder up the middle and just beat the throw to first. And Springer's grounder had an expected batting average of 50. Now, that's like half of 150. It wasn't a high probability hit by any means. He hit it at 72 miles an hour, which is not hard at all. So that's why he beat the throw, obviously. And uh, it just felt like that one was a lucky bounce for the Astros. So Petit did his job on that one. He got Springer to reach on the ball and put it into play weekly, just beat throw and that kind of stinks. Where he did mess up was, you know, walking the other two batters in the inning and bringing in two more runs. That's where, you know, we are all kind of a little, not mad at Mero Petit because he's been fantastic for the team for years now. But uh, that's where the game kind of fell apart. And that's where, you know, our frustration with the game kind of came in is the Astros didn't earn three of those runs. They got a hit by pitch and two walks. Uh, Good for them, I guess. And then a, a little weak dribbler up the middle that they beat the throw on, which I guess hustle. So I guess that one counts for them. And this is where I think that the doubleheader kind of caught up to the A's a little bit because they didn't have all the bullpen arms because uh, Hendricks had just pitched like an hour and a half, two hours ago to close out game one. And uh, this is where I'm going to, I know that hindsight is twenty twenty, so I'm not saying that this is what he should have done in the moment at all. But with hindsight being twenty twenty, if he had used Joaquin Soria to close out game one with a two-run lead instead of Hendricks, which I know you want to take a bird in the, in the hand is better than two in the bush. I, I, I get that. And I'm just throwing this out there is all I'm doing. Um, but if he would have used Soria in game one instead, you could have had Hendricks as the late inning guy in game two. And that probably would have opened up Wendelkin to probably pitch instead of Petit. It would have been one of those two guys, but you would have had an option as opposed to have wanting Wendelkin there for the later innings in a close game. And, uh, you know, wanting to save him for the setup role or even the closer role, which he ended up getting the loss after pitching two innings. Um, so that would have opened him up a little bit more in that regard. And this is the spot that Wendelkin's been used all season is just the cleanup role where he's like, yeah, I'm going to go clean up this for, you know, two thirds of an inning. And then we're going to get out of here. I'm not going to score, you know, allow any runs. I think it's going to be great. And uh, they didn't use him that way today. Kind of cost him a little bit, but I think that it's because of the doubleheader. Um, I know that Petit's been struggling a little bit. It doesn't necessarily show in his ERA, which actually went down today, which is strange, but it did because all four runs got charged to Mike Minor, which he loaded the bases. But you also want your bullpen to not allow all of the runs that you left out there. So there's that as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that Mike Minor pitched well for three innings and then wheels fell off in the fourth. We've seen this happen with Jamaniah before. Um, with it being, you know, three weeks until the postseason and stuff like that, I do think that maybe using Mike Miner in the bullpen could be a nice valuable piece if you need somebody to give you two innings with a lefty arm or something like that. He could be that guy. That that could be an interesting piece. I don't know that I trust him to do that yet, but and he's going to be getting plenty more opportunities in the starting rotation with all these double headers coming up, but I, I mean, maybe he's going to be okay. Maybe. I'm trying to be optimistic. I don't know. We will see. I know that the stat line says he was terrible, but he did pitch three good innings and against, you know, a good offense that had been hot coming into the series. So it's not like they were, you know, they, they, they got shut out all weekend against the Angels. No, they, they put up some runs and they just got beat. On the other hand, though, with like Chris Bassett, he shoved on Monday night. I don't know 
what to take of it when it's a divisional matchup like that, when you see get these guys all the time. Frankie Montas pitched really well in game one. I'll talk about that here in the second segment. But uh, it, it's hard to see how they're doing against divisional foes because they see them all the time. Uh, Frankie Montas got beat up in his last start against the Astros. He pitched much better today. I don't know how to take divisional matchups like that because you have the scouting reports on these guys. It's when you're, you're facing like a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees that you have not faced that that season. And that's where some of my apprehension comes with, you know, Mike Miner. I'm encouraged by Frankie Montas. I want to see him do it a couple more times before we get to the postseason, obviously. Um, but, you know, Mike Miner is kind of the big question mark right now is, is this like, hey, he faced the Padres and he allowed two home runs to it. the first two hitters that he faced. They're a really good team. Is that more what he's like? Or is he shutting a team down that's really good for three innings kind of guy? And he's been facing this team a bunch over the last couple of years, too, because he's been with the Rangers. So he knows the scouting report on these hitters. So I don't know what to take from the three good innings compared to the one where if the bullpen had shut it down, he would have had a very good stat line. Um, so that that's where I'm leaving it right there. But before I send it off to, you know, uh, uh, sponsors and all that stuff, I do want to talk about the standings and also circle back to use Mario Petit real quick, just because I had something that uh, came to mind on Twitter earlier uh, in the day. And that was uh, with Petit, if, you know, they've played 40 games. If we were in like late May, early June, are we talking about use Mario Petit having a couple of rough games? No, uh, probably not, because it doesn't matter at that point. There's plenty of season left. The A's have their playoff spot almost locked up. I mean... It's not locked up. They got to win a few more games, but they should be in the playoffs barring losing the rest of their games. So that's good. The bad news is the playoffs start in three weeks and we're only 40 games into the season. And so that's where I think that some of the panic with Petit comes in. I'm not panicked about him in general. I think he will be fine overall. It's just a matter of, is he going to be at his peak when we need him to be at his peak? And that's where I think some of the hot takes with Petit come out is, uh, you know, he, he's he hasn't had it for a couple of games. Ah, I'm like, yeah, overall, th this is the game plan that you should follow all the time. Use them wherever you want. But in this particular instance, when you're facing the Astros, you know, a divisional opponent that's on your, not even on your heels, but you know, the, the team that's chasing you, that's closest to you, that could, you know, take the ALS from you. Uh, when you're facing that team and you have a chance to, you know, foot on the throat, maybe you want to use Wendelkin instead of Petit right there. If you have the option, um, I know that, you know, when Nelkin is probably being saved for the later innings, that's fine. Um, but that's just my one little critique. I don't critique Bob Melvin very often on the show. That's not what I do. I don't play, you know, co-manager, uh, regardless of what you see on Twitter. I'm more asking like when I, when I'm on Twitter and I'm like, Hey, should they pull the starter right now? Or maybe not? I don't know. I'm legitimately seeing what the answer is, what you guys think, because I think it's a good question. Like, Hey, should they pull Montas right here? Cause he's having a good start. And you know, you want to build on that or do you want to Try and build on it even more, roll the dice. Uh, what are you guys thinking? Th that's what I'm doing. I'm not trying to play armchair uh, manager by any means, mostly because that's just something that I don't really enjoy doing. I, I don't like questions. I'm like, hey, as long as they're making decent decisions and I'm not like, oh, that was stupid, then I'm like, yeah, that, that was fine. So that's usually how I go with that. Anyways, coming up on the show, I have uh, some other stat lines that impressed me. I'm talking about Vimeo Machin because this is a Vimeo Machin podcast now. I love this guy. He is showing out making the most of his opportunity, and uh, I'm here for it. So I'm going to talk about him for a little bit, talk about Frankie Montas, Chris Davis, Matt Olson's dinger that broke StatCast, and also the playoff standings heading into Wednesday's action. So uh, you're going to want to see where the Astros and Yankees are. One of them is hanging on by a thread to a playoff spot right now. Find out who it is right after this. Bilt Bar is back, and they are even more deliciouser. They have 18 amazing flavors, including... 
nut and non-nut flavors, six new flavors, which include caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They also still have their original 12 flavors, so if you've bought from Built Bar before, then they still have all your favorites and some new ones for you to try. But Jason, are they filled with protein? I don't know. If a tree falls in the woods and there's nobody around to hear it, does it make a sound? Actually, I should have made that less philosophical. They are jam-packed with protein. They're also nice and soft and chewy like a candy bar. And just to give you guys an example of one of the new flavors, here's a flavor profile on the Cherry Barcia. It has 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 net carbs. That's how you want to get your protein right there, my friends. And they're tasty. So tasty. Cherry Barcia. Just reading that made me hungry. So if you're hungry like me, go to BuiltBar.com. And enter code locked on. That gives you $10 off your first purchase at builtbar.com. Also, I haven't heard any other way. So I'm going to say you get a free cooler with the purchase. If you've listened to the podcast recently, I've been bumping these coolers. They're little coolers for your little bars. And I'm very excited about that. So if you want $10 off and a free cooler with purchase, go to builtbar.com, enter code locked on. That is one word locked on and get $10 off your first purchase at builtbar.com and get a free cooler for your little bars. Welcome back to Locked On A's. I am your host, Jason Burke, and you can follow us on Twitter at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. You can email us any questions that you have to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Uh, I'm just going to start off with the standings right here just to get that out of the way. That's a big cliffhanger, and I don't want anybody to, uh, you know, stress over where the A's stand right now or who they'd be facing. So in first, you still got the Rays. They're at 28 and 15. The A's are in second place now. After their couple of wins since the last time we recorded, they're 25 and 15. And uh, then the you got Cleveland at 26 and 16 in third place. The White Sox are in fourth place at 26 and 16. I'm just going to run through the standings. All right, you got Rays, A's, Indians, White Sox, Blue Jays as the second place in the AL East. That's a fun one. Uh, you got the Astros at sixth. They are 22 and 21. If they had lost that second game, they would have been below 500. That would have been fun, but they're not. So uh, anyways, uh, the A's matchup in the first round as currently constructed would be the Minnesota Twins. There's that AL Central is just bonkers right now. So are they going to stay there? Who's to say? I mean, it could be Cleveland, could be the White Sox. I don't know. I think I'd rather face the Twins out of those three teams because they don't have the elite pitching staff of the Cleveland Indians. And then they don't have the crazy young, they don't know any better talent that the White Sox have. So uh, that, that's a crazy, that's a fun combination to have. I don't know that I want to face that in the first round of a three game, you know, in a three game series, maybe in a seven game series, uh, that would be okay, but not, not in a three gamer. And then the Yankees are holding on to dear life at the eighth seed in the American League, holding on to one of two wildcard spots. They are 500 at 21 and 21, and a half a game behind them is the Baltimore Orioles. Oh boy. If Baltimore makes it in, I'm going to be so excited. Um, or if Baltimore and the Seattle Mariners make it in, I'll be doubly excited. Uh, the Tigers are also in there just a game back of the uh, Yankees, but the Mariners are two and a half games back of the Astros. If the A's can win the next two games, help the Mariners out a little bit, that would be great. Mariners ended up losing on Tuesday night, 6-5 to five in San Francisco, so that stinks. Anyways, let's move on to uh, takeaways from the doubleheader. I got Frankie Montas. He was a nice takeaway. I know that he wasn't, you know, the the ace that we were hoping to see, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. He went five innings, gave up six hits and two earned runs. He walked one, struck out four. Um, he had allowed 18 earned runs in his last three starts in just nine and two-thirds innings. 
and that amounts to a 16.73 ERA. That's not great, folks. So this is definitely a step in the right direction for him. Uh, maybe the, the layoff helped him out a little bit, got him a little bit more time to, you know, he was able to pitch before, but now maybe he's able to pitch effectively. That would be a plus. Again, like I said with Mike Miner, maybe it's facing the same lineup that he had just faced. I Hopefully that's not the case. We will find out in his next start, I think. My second takeaway was Chris Davis. He had a great first game. His two RBIs were the difference in, you know, the game overall. Um, so he had a home run, a double, two runs batted in. His double was 105.4 off the bat, and his homer was 104.2. Those are great exit velocity numbers that we have not been seeing from Chris Davis. That was a plus. He got to play again in game two, went over three with two strikeouts and a pop-up. So I don't know if we're uh, seeing him really turn a corner yet, but um, it would be nice if we did, because as Bob Melvin said in uh, the post game of game one, he can carry a team if he's, you know, on fire, like we've seen so many times. Um, and I know that his barrel rate hasn't been great this year or last year, and uh, he's down like a, a mile and a half from league average right now, which is not where he's usually sitting. Uh, and that's, and even where he's sitting at 86.9 as an average in terms of exit velocity, uh, that's still like six miles per hour lower than he was in 16, 17 and 18 when he was just crushing balls and leading the league and home runs and all that stuff. So, uh, there, there's still some work to go to get to crush Davis territory, but you know, if he can hit the ball at, you know, one Oh four, like he did a couple times in game one, then maybe we're starting to see him barrel up some more balls and then he can drive them a little bit further. And that would be nice. Uh, less game two, Chris Davis, please. That would be great. Uh, also, uh, we got to talk about the A's winning a challenge, not what the challenge was, but the fact that they won a challenge. That was great. And then everything returned to normal in game two where uh, they lost a challenge on, believe it or not, Ramon Laureano getting hit by a pitch. I don't know that he got hit, but I mean, based on precedent, he should have been awarded first base. Also, if he had been hit, I think that would have been like a sixth hit by pitch, fifth hit by pitch by Astros pitching over the course of the season, which hasn't been that many games. That's ridiculous to me, but whatever. Uh, one person, I, I tweeted out, and I'm like, another day, another hit by pitch for Ramon Laureano by Astros pitching. And somebody, after you know it got overturned, they were like, this tweet didn't age well. And I really wanted to tweet back, that 2017 World Championship didn't age well either, buddy. But I didn't because I'm being the bigger man and just talking about it on this podcast. Anyways... <laughs> Matt Olson also broke StatCast in Game 2 with his three-run homer, which really looked like it was going to put the A's ahead for good, but uh, that didn't happen for very long. Um, uh, the bullpen. Anyways, and by broke StatCast, I mean, it didn't. StatCast just stopped uploading like anything. They skipped him in the batting order after he hit that home run. There was no info on that for a very long time. It took a couple of hours for them to get, you know, it, I think he hit it like 114 off the bat. But uh, before they had fixed it, I put... Uh, he hit the ball really hard and really far, which I feel like is accurate. That's basically what StatCast said. Or, you know, more crudely, he hit the piss out of it. So, uh, you know, Matt, Matt, Matt Olson hit a fucking dinger. <laughs> and you can kind of see it coming, too, because uh, the pitcher just wasn't... He, he was allowing a couple of hits here and there. It seemed like he was starting to get hit a little bit. And I was like, oh, Matt Chapman's coming up. You guys better watch out. You do not want to pitch to him right now. And then dinger, and that was great. Um but I do want to talk about Vimeo Machine real quick. I only got a couple of minutes. Um, he has 16 at-bats this month. Vimeo Machine is batting 375 with a 444 on-base percentage, thanks to a pair of walks. He went 3-for-3 three three in the second game and recorded his first extra base hit with a double in the fourth. He hit the ball over 95 miles an hour 
another three times. And if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that uh, if you hit it above 95 miles an hour, that is a hard hit ball, according to StatCast and Baseball Savant and, you know, all those sites. So if Machine had enough at-bats, he would rank number 29 in all of baseball in hard hit percentage. He currently has a 48.1 hard hit rate, ranking him just ahead of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you know, one of the biggest prospects ever, and uh, just behind Freddie Freeman, you know, perennial all-star. So uh, that's some really good company to be around, I would say. Uh, his average exit velocity is 91.2, and that would rank him fourth on the A's behind Chapman, Olsen, and Sean Murphy, who I talked about a couple weeks ago. Sean Murphy's also hitting the piss out of the ball. So uh, I'm going to start saying that too. I, I don't know. I think it's funny. Um, but, and this is all he would rank here because he hasn't had enough at-bats on the season. But if he did have enough at-bats, that exit velocity of 91.2 miles per hour on average would uh, be tied for 42nd in all of baseball. Those are good numbers to have. For a guy who's had less than 100 at-bats at the Major League level, he's hitting the crap out of it. And I know that, you know, he's had only singles up until the fourth inning on Tuesday night. But with just a slight increase in his launch angle, I think that he could really become a double sitter because he's hitting it hard. He just needs to hit it further. But he already has the plate discipline. He already knows how to, you know, square it up a little bit. He's not barreling it, but he's squaring it up enough where he can hit it really hard. And that's a plus. So... I think that he has the plate discipline to become, not quite, but become a Tommy LaStella type where he could potentially, if he you know gets a little bit better on defense, uh, he could play second base for the A's next year if, if they want him to. He would be a solid addition uh, to the A's everyday lineup, I think. Um, but that'll be topics for over the offseason. That being said, I love watching him play. I get very excited when he comes up to bat because I know that he's going to give me a quality at bat. So you just keep feeding me Vimeo Machine at bats and I'll be very happy for the rest of the season. Uh, give him a key at bat in that postseason. Have him, you know, win a series or something like that. And uh, I will be the happiest person in the world. Um, but that's going to be it for me today, guys. Uh, I got two more episodes coming to you guys this week. I'll be talking about the A's next two victories over the next two days. So uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on social media at Locked on A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at by Jason B. Um, stay indoors. Celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks. And I'll talk with you guys tomorrow.